0: Yeah, so that's, um, I don't even know what what the question was. It got me down that rant, but...
1: Is there any more bourbon hunting left? (laughs) Hey everyone, it's episode 318 of Bourbon Pursuit, the podcast featuring news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman, and before we start today's episode... Talking about dusty bourbon, here's your weekly bourbon news update. The legendary Stitzelweller Distillery begins a new chapter in its 86-year history with the opening of the Garden and Gun Club. This destination cocktail bar is inspired by Garden Club Magazine's hospitality franchise, and it will be located on the second floor of the Stitzelweller Distillery. It will be offering unique food and drink experiences along the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. The space offers a curated drink list including a blade and bow 22-year-old tasting experience and a unique bar menu that is a modern-day take on classic Southern favorites developed by executive chef Ann Kim and will have a capacity for around 60 people. Wild Turkey has announced the launch of its new global creative campaign and platform called Trust Your Spirit and it features the brand's creative director, Matthew McConaughey. This also includes a brand new roll-up design of Wild Turkey 101. Now moving on to bourbon release news. Wild Turkey has announced Masters Keep 1. This is a project where Jimmy and Eddie Russell both had a hand in as Eddie now celebrates his 40th year at Wild Turkey. It combines Jimmy's love for eight to 10 year old bourbon with Eddie's passion for older whiskeys around the 14 year mark. Both of these were mingled together and went into a second barrel aging process using new toasted and charred barrels. This rested also in Tyrone G. Warehouse. This will have a retail price of around $175. Well, the toasted barrel train continues because 8th generation beam distiller Freddy No is launching a new expression called Basil Hayden Toast. The difference is that this consists of an entirely new brown rice forward mash bill and a toasted barrel finish. This is bottled at the standard 80 proof of Basil Hayden and has a price tag of $50. Heaven Hill Distillery has announced the 8th release of Old Fitzgerald Bottled and Bond, with the fall release of the 2021 that will be 11 years old. And these come in those really nice fancy decanters. The barrels used in this release were filled in the spring of 2010 and rested in Warehouse EE. E. These were bottled at 100 proof and has a retail price of $110. Barrel Craft Spirits has released Barrel Bourbon Batch 30, This is a blend of straight bourbon whiskeys that are 5, 6, 9, 10, 11, and 15 years old that are coming from Tennessee, Kentucky, Indiana, and Wyoming. The 5-year-old barrels are from Indiana, and then the Tennessee barrels are 6, 9, 10, 11, and 15 years old. Finally, a weeded bourbon from both Kentucky and Wyoming were added to the blend. This is bottled at cash strength, which is 117.32 proof and has a suggested retail price of $90. Old Forester is releasing its newest expression of the 117 series. This is the label that adorns Jackie Zykan's signature, and it will be called Warehouse K. This limited edition release is sold in 375 ml bottles and pays homage to Old Forester's home place located on Whiskey Row. Warehouse K has gained almost a cult-like following for featuring a blend of barrels aged on different floors. Constructed back in 1953, Warehouse K uses heat cycling and has long been one of Old Forester's favorite places for single barrel expressions. Warehouse K will be exclusively available at Old Forester Distilling Company and its select Kentucky retailers at a suggested retail price of $50. So what is a dusty bourbon? Well, really, it's just old bourbon. The idea is that these were bottles that used to sit on the shelves and collect dust. Nowadays. We consider them rare gems and lots of bourbon hunters go crazy looking for them. Unfortunately, the days of finding a 1980s old grand on the shelf are pretty much long gone, but we sit down and analyze what makes a dusty bourbon, a dusty. There's lots of factors to consider on why a bourbon has changed so much in recent decades. And we give our takes on what some of those key factors might be. With that, enjoy today's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
0: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from longtime listener and our good friend, Alan Channel. Or you could pronounce it Chanel, but I'm pretty sure it's Channel. Alan, if I got that wrong, blame uh, blame Kenny. Uh, <laughs> but he, Alan writes me on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. And he has a couple questions. I'm going to go ahead and choose uh, one I think is really good and we can all learn from and that is when a distiller makes a variety of whiskey, be it bourbon, rye, weeded bourbon, wheat whiskey, whatever, do they tend to use the same yeast strain, or is there no correlation? Well, first of all, let's put these distillers in groups. You have your craft distillers, which, I mean, I'll be honest with you, craft distillers do some wild, wild west stuff, and they'll they'll break up yeast like nobody's business. So, they will indeed like use different strains of yeast and different types and all that. And they'll do all kinds of experimentation because they're just finding their footing. However, the larger distillers use typically one yeast outside of like Four Roses, which has several yeast strains. And that was basically because of a, a Seagram's protocol that always had 10 recipes going into a batch. And every time that they had a distillery close, and they lost that recipe style. They essentially created a different yeast strain to compensate for uh, the loss of a distillery. So Beam, Heaven Hill, same yeast, and it's basically the same yeast uh, uh, across the board with these things. Now I will, I do know that yeast reacts very differently with, with grains, and so when someone has a yeast that they perfected and created. Specifically for a rye whiskey, it doesn't always taste the same. It doesn't always have that same kind of powerful effect as it does with the bourbon. A really good example is MGP, which is using the, the V yeast. That V yeast is the same V yeast that uh, Four Roses has. And it's basically, it, it was created to deal with like rye, rye mash bills and, and high rye content. And so when you when you use that V yeast in some of their weeded recipes, it can taste kind of kind of funky. But, you know, sometimes that's a good funk. I do like me some funk from time to time. But uh, I hope that answers your question, Alan. And if I butchered your name, uh, let me know. I want to make sure I, was, I, I pronounce it right next time. But uh, I appreciate you writing, Alan. If you want to be like Alan and have a chance of me butchering your name on air, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click that contact button, and I'll be happy to read your question if it makes the cut. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Be safe out there. Cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits
1: are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium, hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof, and the flavoring grain for this one Which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye opener. You can order online at Sealbox or the bourbonconcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite Welcome back, everybody, to this very special edition of Bourbon Pursuit, where if you're watching on camera, you might be looking at some of the bottles we have lined up here going, what, what are these old, old bottles? And this is uh, this is actually a very fun episode. It's a rare opportunity. It is, is a very rare opportunity. It says right here on the tag. <laughs> because today, we're going to be talking about Dusty's. This is something that I've been wanting to talk about for quite a long time, not only because it's hard to understand. We we thought it like, oh, can we get like some scientist on here to talk about what is what is the chemical makeup? And it's like, I don't really think a lot of scientists are like getting funded to go and figure this sort of stuff out. But it is fun to sit here and think about theories and think about what the distilling techniques were and how things are different, because there's no doubt
2: about it. When you're tasting old whiskey. It definitely does taste different. And it's just mm-hmm. fun to just drink it and talk. We don't even have to get into the details. We can just hang out and drink it. That's Yeah, up, that I mean
0: taste. that's I mean, really, that's what we signed up here for, folks. So if you're just, you know, at home listening or in the car listening, just know your your three dudes are about are having some great whiskey here. We should actually say we got the old crow uh traveler fifth. You know, this when this came out, you know, vodka was on the rise and this was thought to be, you know, something that would be a little bit of an answer to the martini crowd because they would go around with their little uh, their martini kits, go out on the on the lawn, put their blanket out, and they listen to the Beatles or whoever, and um, and make their martinis. This was thought to be a little bit of a, uh, a pushback on that. And then we have this uh, old uh, Heaven Hill here, a ten year, uh, and we actually have it. Uh, this is uh, distilled in nineteen sixty two, bottled in nineteen. 19- 73. And it is a, and and you might hear that say like, Oh, that's not 10 years old. Uh, it's actually, you know, to the, that was, it was distilled in the fall of uh 62, a bottle in the spring of 72. So it is ten years old by law, and it is uh, the bottle and bond that we have here today. Exactly, it's, it's the a, it's, bottle bond. It's, you know. Which
1: you, uh, I'm very glad to get that bottle.
0: Yeah, well, um, we, be ki- be <laughs> we might be,
2: Bernie, be proud. We
0: might be killing it on opening over here, and then then we got the uh, one of the first uh, rare breeds uh, that came out. And so, rare breed was basically, you know, in the wave of like Booker's and all these other kind of like original small batches. And notorious as they are, the cork broke off on a skinny as I tried to open it with my skilled, like, little side technique. Didn't work. Pushed it right on in. There,
2: there's no technique that can uh, get a cork out of a turkey, Dusty,
0: successfully. It is, it is
2: really hard. <laughs> I've I mean, never seen it happen. I've never seen anybody successfully take one out. Those corks... They those, always break.
0: They yeah. always... Like, those corks just get all mushy, you know, or they're all dry. So, like... Something to do with the bottling, the proof, and the quality of the cork they used back then, but the damn things always break. Yep. Ryan, what's the what's the proof on
1: that one? By the way, Before people
0: uh, kind of know what we're what we're. Am I gonna with guess, this? I'm going to guess. I'm going to go mm, one twelve and some change.
2: I'm trying to find it. Mm. Uh, oh, here we are. Well, ironically, it's hundred eight point four proof. Ah, oh, close They know that that's a good proof. They know what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Somebody else proves that. I got a 108 barrel strength over there. That's right. It does taste hotter than 108 proof though. I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. It tastes pretty hot to me. So I kind of want to get in uh, a little bit to you all, like the allure
1: of Dusty's and what makes them so grand. And for anybody that I'll tell my story as I start coming to this too. And when I started really getting to bourbon, I know that when I started going on, you know, the different secondary markets and you see what's out there and all of a sudden people are selling like old bottles that have, you know, from national distillers, old granddad, and they literally have price tags on them for seven dollars and ninety-nine cents. But people are selling them, and this is let's rewind the clocks back to like 2014, 2015 frame and they're selling them for like $199. And I'm like, who the fuck? would Mm -hmm. never pay $199 for something that used to sit on the shelves for $8 back in the day. Like blew my mind, never thought about it. I'm like, I'm I'm all in with the new, never going to do it. And it took, it actually probably took a a solid probably one to two years after that for somebody to actually give me my first dusty pour. I think it was probably at Whiskey Pig or
2: the down that oh, was my, yeah,
0: whiskey pig was your first dusty bourbon. That was, it wasn't
2: my it wasn't my first one but it was definitely one of the earlier days yeah i mean well i had had dusty bourbons but i hadn't that was the first time like you had like the really good ones and you know you had bill thomas there and everybody telling you about them and and you know at the time you know you you say it was two hundred dollars but to me i was like and that was a steal nowadays but you way. know And this was right when bourbon was starting to really get popular and camping was beginning, you know, limited releases were getting harder to get and you're paying exorbitant amounts for antique and pappies and all this. So like, to me, I was, Dusty's were kind of like a value opportunity back then. It was like, all right, I can get something that's really good and unique for under a couple hundred bucks. And it'd be under sub a hundred. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember when I first bought old granddads, I was getting them for like 75 bucks, you know, for you know, mid eighties, low eighties, old granddads. And they were just worth every penny. I mean, they were butterscotch bombs that it tastes just like Werther's. I mean, they're just so pleasant, but, uh.
0: Well, I think anybody who gets into dusty hunting cannot, uh, cannot think about, can't think about it without remembering seeing the things that are on, that you could see on the shelves when you were turning of legal drinking age and you would walk right past it. I remember seeing the, the veined, uh, Oh, oh, Wellers, Wellers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wellers. They would, they were for some reason very. They were still on the shelves in Oklahoma in the late '90s and stuff like that. And and you know, I just buy uh Jim Beam and and it, like that stuff. I could have bought. I mean, I actually would have had forty bucks or something where I could have afforded to buy that sort of thing. And I just you know, you look back to that time. You're like, I wish I had a time machine. <laughs> we all wish we had time. You know, machine. I yeah. wish I had a time machine. Where's
2: the DeLorean? Okay, I mean, like my dad. He, I tell the story. Tom. He. Worked for bourbon companies doing like machinery, like gear and tool and die repair. And they were giving bottles, special releases. as like Christmas gifts. And I can't tell me Elijah Craig, like 21s, 19s, you know, Noah's Mills, H stated, Rowan Creeks from back in the day that, Ooh. you know, we would drink. I would just take to like college parties and stuff. And I'm like, God, I was such an asshole. You know, <laughs> I'm taking these to the parties and like mix them with Coke and stuff. You know, it's so, so stupid, but you didn't know. I mean, you I don't know? think anybody knew.
0: I got into it. Some
2: people knew. Let's put it that way.
0: I got into it almost immediately uh, when I got into bourbon, like
1: you know, professionally. Was there somebody that kind of like gave you that? that Yeah,
0: Jason Bronner, Jason Bronner, Bourbon's Bourbon's Bistro. Bistro. Yeah, Um, I would spend a lot of time at Bourbon's Bistro, and I have to tell you, like, I don't think that man ever gets enough credit for what he has done for bourbon, uh, being the first like bourbon themed restaurant in Kentucky. And, you know, I just, I just think the world of Jason and, uh, he would have all of these like, uh, decanters, you know, he'd get these beam decanters. He would get all these old Fitzgeralds and he would get everything. A man would never charge you. You were just sitting there and you would just be drinking with him, talking, you know, Veach would come along sometimes and we would just be sitting there at Bourbon's Bistro or out on his patio (laughs) <laughs> be drinking freaking <laughs> 1950s, uh, Kentucky Tavern and like talking about, uh, how good it was in sports. And it was just, I look back on that time of my career and I just, I miss it so much. I miss it so much, but that was, that was where I cut my teeth on, on, on Dusty's and it would be it would lead me to meeting random people in parking lots and literally handing over bags <laughs> of cash, estate sales. You know, <laughs> showing up to every yard sale in the
2: in the county. It's they're just like, got any bourbon in there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it could take you down a very weird path. I just I just miss those times. Yeah, those are the early dusty. I mean, yeah, we've been there with
2: Jason. You know, up in his his uh, office where all the decanters. And I mean, he he's such a great host and knows all the history and everything yeah. about each one. And so like you get he gets one to canter down and you talk about it for like thirty or forty minutes and then you move on to the next one. It's a it's a great time. But yeah, I mean, I, I would say Bill Thomas was probably for uh for me anyways, was kind of he was your Sherpa. Yeah. He was kind of our my Sherpa, you know, in the dusty bourbons and we're talking know.
0: about two great Sherpas here. Oh gosh. Us, you know? I
2: mean, yeah, Bill just gets so excited yeah. and animated, you know, when he's talking about it. And uh I, I had the lucky opportunity to stay at his house and you know, drink some of the green glass Van Winkle rise, you know, and from Lawrenceburg and stuff. And man, that was like the best, probably the best whiskey I've ever had in my life. And, uh, you know, some people just like old stuff because and right. they just don't like the present, you know, but there is something magical about drinking history, you know, thinking about what was going on in that time, you know, what was going on in the world and it's just a
0: fascinating thing and something unique you get to
2: experience every time you do this. Well
0: and it's also very important for us to talk about the differences and how they were made. Now a lot of these plate, a lot of these brands will have the same recipe, but we are looking at depending on the generation of the time, you're looking at like different water was being used, right? So and different techniques for the water. You know, so at the very basis of the core of like all the all the parts of what whiskey is it was all very different. The corn, if it was pre, if it was pre 1950s, it was it was it was non hybrid corn. Starting into like the 1950s, a little bit in the 40s, you know, after we had so many people starving with the with the Great Depression and everything in the Dust Bowl, uh, scientists started working on like hybrid corn, which would basically allow the uh, allow farmers to have something that was a little bit more drought resistant. And then so they were breeding corn in labs. You know, that would later turn into genetically modified corn. And, you know, so if we're tasting something pre-1955, uh, really pre-1970, the chances are you were, you were tasting a whiskey that the farmer had actually planted the seeds and had developed the corn strain in his own or her own farm. And that right there, you know, th- those are two things, you know, the water and the corn being differently. Uh, but the most important factor in my opinion is the distillation technique, it's the fermentation technique, it's the yeast and of course the wood. Most of the wood used for the barrels that you We just are- basically named off the entire process <laughs> yeah. you're like
2: basically the Nothing's most important same. thing is everything. <laughs>
0: oh, <okay>. well, <laughs> well I was going go to go I was going to say wood but then I was like oh well, what about the yeast? Well no you know, this one's important. Too. <laughs> basically if you take all of those things, you know, of all of those things being the most important the wood we're looking at first growth wood, you know, the, the wood that's you being used right now for, uh, for barrels, they're being, you know, plucked on private land. You know, they're between 60 and 90 years old. The, the trees that people were cutting down back then, there's a good chance, man, that, that a human hadn't seen that tree in, uh, in the 1940s to 1970s until someone hit it with a chainsaw or, or a blade. You know, so you're looking at like the, the very best of oak, uh, different techniques on on making whiskey. And also there were no computers. There were no, um, there was not automation. It was humans doing everything. And then you had some people like Pappy Van Winkle who actually resented uh, the growth of chemists in the industry to the point where he put up signs like no chemists allowed. So there was a lot more uh, attention to human detail than to computer efficiency. Yeah, so we have seen a lot of changes over the years uh, in terms of like what goes into the bottle. The recipes may be the same. They like to say that at Wild Turkey, and that is true. But there's also been some legal changes that have allowed whiskey to be different. In 1962, they increased the barrel entry proof from 110 from the legal maximum to 125. By increasing it to 125, they could get more volume and basically put out more bottles, thus make more money. It also reduced uh, their tax, they're basically their tax liability. But there's only a handful of bourbons today that if you were to say like, okay, we're going back to the laws of 1958, it's only a handful of bourbons that would be considered bourbon today. Four Roses, Wild Turkey, everything at Buffalo Trace would not be considered bourbon because none of them are going into the barrel at 110. Baker's Mark on the other hand, and, a, and you know things like uh Wilderness Trail, uh, you know those would be definitely be considered, you know, bourbon because they're going at 110. So there's a lot of production factors that make this whiskey to me always that much more special, and and also it is incredibly, incredibly inconsistent. And as I point to the tops here uh, and that one over there, the enclosures that they used dictate the flavor. That we get today sometimes that you get a you get a dusty that tastes spot on and it's exactly like it should be or sometimes you get one like i like i had recently with a 1945 kentucky tavern and um i mean it tasted like sweat leather and uh and gross and it's because <laughs> yeah, the, like a gym if you will like it was just like a gym and the inside of the cap you know if you take a look underneath here so Sometimes you see there's like, there's some little plasticky kind of like, there's an adhesive there. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's not stored properly, that adhesive gets into the whiskey and you don't want that. It does not taste good. All of those miniature bottles, uh, I used to collect the miniature bottles and um, you crack those things open, no matter what the whiskey is, it's it's gonna have, it's gonna be contaminated from the cap and it, it, typically. And so you you really do not always get a great experience with the dusties. but when you do, it's magical. magical. <laughs> yeah. It's magical.
1: So we heard Fred's sort of uh take on that. It. it takes everything. Ryan, do you think mm-hmm. is there is there one thing that we look at in regards to dusties? I mean, there's wood, there's corn, there's the water like is there something in your mind that sticks out that is something that might be a little bit more I guess forgiving or, or maybe more influential to that process? I think
2: it's oxygen has I I, I don't know the exact percentage but you got to think that oxidizing is Playing a huge role in these, you know, as we've seen, this cork was not meant to age, you know, the bottles, the seals and stuff. So oxygen's getting in there and changing the liquid, stuff's evaporating, stuff's moving around, you know. And I, I think that I've had it happen with, you know, newer bottles that I've. You gotta remember, a lot of people used to call this stuff rot gut
1: right. back in the day. They'd be yeah. like,
2: 70s, 80s, like,
1: I'm not drinking. This is rot guts. Oh, and yeah. We're, we're like, oh, give us more. Well,
0: I think it's brand <laughs> dependent on that, but, uh, you know, oxidation, man. They, it, absolutely. It's it's all about the fit of the cork or or whatever. And if you see it, you know, significantly below the neck, stay the heck away from that. Don't buy it, right? Yeah. Um, and it, a lot of that is like, you know, when I was amassing a library, I would always, the questions I would ask would be about storage. And one time I found out a lady like was storing her stuff next to the kitty litter, like her her cats. I was like, I am not buying anything that's been stored next to kitty litter.
2: Yeah. Uh, and too, like if you ever leave like, you know, a, leave a glass full of bourbon, you know, out and you go taste it the next day, it doesn't taste as hot or, you know, the alcohols, you know, it's mellowed out drastically. You don't put it straight yeah. in the dishwasher? <laughs> I, I've always just tried it just to see what it tastes.
0: <laughs> I <laughs> you're mean, you're a I, your little science experiment. I brush my teeth with it. I mean, it's you know,
2: <laughs> not the all the time, but I'm like, well, what does this taste like? You know, after it's set out all night and it definitely loses. So because a lot of these older whiskeys were younger, well, some were older, but I think too the oxygen kind of calms that, you know, the, the hot aspect or the graininess of it or corn, that's just a theory. But, uh, you know, just from me observing me leaving my bourbon glass out after a long night.
1: It is true. I mean, when you, I think the only bottle up here, that's probably on the, the opposite side of that is this old heaven Hill. That's a a 10 year, but a lot of times the, the dusty ish era, it was four to six year old whiskey. Like that was a, a pretty normal thing back then. And now I think we're kind of like seeing a little bit more of the rise of that because we do see a lot more whiskey coming out at a much younger age, but you do see a lot of stuff that was, you know, whether it was, um, uh, you know, bourbon deluxe and a lot of things that were coming out of national distillers at the time. There, granddad of,
0: was, yeah.
2: you know, forward. By the way, bourbon
0: too. deluxe, if you're, that's a great value, dusty that you can get, and people don't respect it. That's a good one. I respect. If you have any, call me. Call us. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean- it's, I know we're in the middle of the interview, and I know you want to get down this- no, no, This no. old crow don't. is so amazing. It's, it's fantastic. This like, old crow is
2: like, it's like butter on my palate. And, and, it's so and every time I have Dusty's, like, we all have our favorites, and, you know, usually whatever you're drinking at the time is your favorite, but- I go back and forth between the Dusty Turkeys and National Distiller, and when I drink this Old Crow, I'm like, "Gosh, National Distiller, you were." I'm just so sad you're not here anymore. I
0: know, <laughs> and, and, and like, it's and like then, everything I have from there has been just they've uh, been am- they were amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and, if this came out today, this would be the best whiskey on the on the shelf. Oh, I mean, hands down.
1: I mean, it says right on the back it says four fifth corp, and this whiskey is four years old. Yep, right there on there from the Old Crow Distillery, Frankfort, Kentucky, I mean, Louisville, it's Kentucky. Just got.
0: 90 proof. I mean, look at that color though. It doesn't
1: look like a four-year-old. That's amazing color. So here's the other thing that people also talk about with Dusty's and maybe it it could be true was maybe it was during the glut era and knowing that you weren't going to go and change a bunch of labels and do all this, you had all these older stocks. And so people were putting older stocks of whiskey that could have been 8, 10, 12, 15 years old. Into a four-year-old bottle, and it didn't really matter because back at the time, nobody cared about high age dating.
0: Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's uh, the the standard for for old whiskey back then was eight years old. If something was north of eight years old, they would look at it. You know, the consumers would not look at it, uh, you know, positively. And I think in a, an interview with Bernie Lovers, he talked about his old man talking about that. And you can watch movies like The Hustler, and they reference eight-year-old bourbon. And you didn't really see the you didn't see a, a the the glut effect in terms of like that sort of thing until you got into the 70s but you you would not see many barrels uh north of 10 years old in this time now during prohibition you would see a lot of like 17 you know yeah because we've seen
2: the tailors you know yeah they're
0: like 17 18. that that they were just put putting them out there they were just putting anything out during prohibition or right before prohibition when they knew they're like, well, shit, we're not going to get any money during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Let's sell it now. you know. So it was such a different time. And uh, The area, it's funny, Like, I don't know if you plan to go there, Kenny, but what, the area that I tell people to really stay away from, unless they're a serious collector, is the Prohibition medicinal area. Because one, there's a lot of fakes that got out during that time, and two, they- just did not care about the quality of the whiskey. It was just to get it out so people could have some medicinal whiskey and it was just not the same level. Yeah, not I feel so, like it's
2: too risky. <laughs> it it <laughs> is
0: a really risky time period, especially if you want to drink it. I've had st- a lot of stuff from like the 1800s. You know, I've had stuff from from pretty much every period and I get brought in by auction houses to to, to validate bottles and, you know, to give stories on them. And, I mean, you know, there, the, the thing about those eras is that they're not modern fakes. Like bootleggers of the time were faking the stuff. <laughs> right. And they, the they and they weren't faking it with like, oh, by the way, we're faking it with a nice touch of Weller and a little bit of wild turkey. Uh, I mean, they're putting like- In our, in our own PVC capsule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with our own
1: heat gun. We're just-
0: they, they, They're doing it with kerosene. So, and then there were times that too, they would bottle piss. You know, so there would be like, there would be like fake bottles in there. You know, uh, so you, people always want the old
2: days come out. I'm like, no. <laughs> the yeah. Stories like that. I'm like, we're doing just fine right now. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: you know, that era, that era is risky. But like, if you know, like, there was somebody who found a bunch of bottles in their house and it made it all over the news recently. And I looked up who lived there, and I looked up what brand it was, and it was the most like counterfeited brand in Canada. Of the time, and it was a it was a scotch I can't remember the name of the scotch, and it happened to be. Um, and the guy happened to be like in northern New York, so you know he's obviously got a, a pipeline into Canada. I was like, I was like, I would not touch those bottles with a ten foot pole. This is a known, this is a known like counterfeiter at the time, a bootlegger, and and this is the most bootleg brand uh, of that time. And uh, yeah, so you got to be careful when you're when you're going prior to the regulatory years of whiskey. So on that note, let's kind of talk about
1: dusty hunting or the, uh, the days that used to be dusty yes. hunting, because I know that, I mean, even when I got into it back in you know, 2014 timeframe, there was an opportunity, but even then, even in Kentucky, there were people way ahead of me, you know, Larry Rice's silver dollar, the Justin's like, you name it that had already cleared the shelves out of Kentucky, you didn't really stand a chance. And I didn't have the hindsight, or should I say foresight at the time, when I was doing a lot of travel, uh, either domestically, internationally, to actually go and, and search for this stuff. Would have been a perfect opportunity to do it. But I mean, is it, is it fair to say that pretty much every store, every shelf has been cleaned in the United States at this point? Customers are rushing to your store. The distillers who labor over the process and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com. That's p l u s dot com, and use code Pursuit at checkout for five dollars off your subscription. Is it fair to say that pretty much every store, every shelf has been cleaned in the United States at this point? Like it. No, it has I don't, to I, be?
0: no, I don't think so. I think that every, I, I mean, and you all do too. I get, I get probably ten emails a week of someone uh, inheriting their family's whatever, and there'll be a case down there. Well, I didn't even know Grandma drank, and she's got six bottles of Old Fitzgerald, you know, from nineteen fifty-five. Are those worth anything? Why? Oh so, well,
1: that's that's one thing. Yeah, I'm talking about
0: liquor stores. I'm talking about it's like you going
1: through. like you driving around in middle of Kansas and you're like, oh, oh, I don't consider those dusties. Well, I mean, that's th- these are all found on the shelf
2: at some point, you know. Yeah. And okay. and so if if you're looking, I mean, we'll we'll say like Larry Rice would tell the story of yeah, going into a liquor store and be like, got anything that's hand sold in the back? it yeah, there'd be like case upon case of granddad or something, you know, from back in the from the
0: yeah. national distillery yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I I, I guess we I,
1: should also clarify what what we consider dusties versus what other people consider dusties, what yeah. you consider dusties,
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good, that, I think that, uh, you know, anything, anything like pre 1995, you know, is, is, is like, would be a dusty. And then after that you have kind of like a contemporary dusty period from 96 to 2005. And then after that, it's like, it's, if it's within 15 years, I, I don't consider that a dusty. Mm-hmm.
2: In, yeah, I'm probably the same. I'm probably I might go ninety nine and before, but yeah, anything at least before two thousand I think's considered dusty for me. I'd say two thousand is a pretty good year.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean because usually I when when
2: somebody says the word pre fire, you're like oh ninety six, like you
1: yeah. you know exactly when that is.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's probably a good qualifier. That that's that would fit within the range. But you know there are some. You know, there's also the regulatory years, like you have like uh, everything that's on a, like a stamp is... All of this is regulated, right? But there was a time when the bottle and the whiskey and all that was not regulated. And so you wouldn't see proofs on there. You wouldn't... And so like until the Pure Food and Drug Act, you wouldn't see much information on the label at all. You know, so I think it, it, it just... It, the bottle is a story in itself and an evolution. And that's how you're able to identify. Why did they stop with like the tax stamps? Because I, I really enjoy them because it gives you like a Actually, clear you don't have to A the clear day hands. to yeah. You don't have to Yeah. Really figure so out. that was under the Reagan administration. When President Reagan took office, he began a a slew of deregulation. And Reagan believed that the alcohol industry. Needed to be deregulated at the same time as the utility industry and the airline industry and a couple others, and all the all those industries were like, yes, deregulators, woohoo! And then like the alcohol industry was like, please, no, keep these laws in effect. This mm-hmm. helps us. They liked the idea of having uh, an extra government employee there. You know, they looked at that as like they were helping. They weren't really making a much of an impact on. You know, they weren't hurting them. They were helping them. Things mistakes didn't happen because of that and and then they would testify before congress that if you take away the government oversight then you're going to start seeing people get deceived by poor labeling and advertising everything they said in that time in the early 80s has you know come to fruition to be right and the one thing that they all agreed upon pretty much was the tax stamp because they would they were clunky a lot of them would get lost in the mail they did a study where they cost like the government, like $15 million a year because the government actually printed it like they do money yeah. and issued them out. And so they had to recirculate them all the time. And it was, it was very laborsome intensive. And so that was like one area where they kind of all agreed on was like, all right, let's get rid of the tax stamp. And, um, and yeah, so I mean, they all have, they, they
1: all printed on codes on all of them and everything like that printed on codes and dates. I mean, there's, yeah, they all changed over the years as well.
0: I mean Reagan. Reagan basically brought a blowtorch to a lot of government procedures, and then that basically was was the death knell to it. And once the brands didn't have to have the tax stamp on there anymore, they're like, hey, that was one thing that was is never going to come back. And the only time you'll see it were if it's fanciful, and you know, sadly, like what McKenna puts it on there, and, mm-hmm. you know, McKenna H. does. D.H. Taylor. D.H. Taylor. Um, you know, I think Saffel does, uh I think Greenbrier does I'm just looking at Kenny's shelf actually.
2: Oh yeah, you yeah. got cheat she I was like, damn, you can name all these stuff.
0: <laughs> it's one well, way to do it. Yeah. Um but you you have um it, it it's funny to me. It was um Norton Simon's uh CEO, which is who operated Sitzoweller at the time, basically predicted all of the transgressions we have seen in labeling in like 1981 in those, in those testimony periods. But yeah, so that's, um, I don't even know what, what the question was. It got me down that rant, but. Is there any more bourbon hunting left? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think we
1: were
2: talking about, yeah, is there,
0: you all know how I am. I get all, I get no, all excited talking we'll, about tax day. I'm we'll like, bring whew. it back somehow.
2: Well, Fred throws it off course, and then I just add fuel to the fire yeah. by asking questions about <laughs> him throwing it off course.
0: Kitty's like looking at a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah.
2: Guys, no, no. Like, we have we're, This outline says topic
0: this now at this time stamp. <laughs> you, you got me there. Oh, well. So I do. I I definitely think there is bourbon hunting still in stores. Is its it... Is it uh, Rampant? Absolutely not. You gotta work. You gotta work for it, and you're gonna have to go in the seedy parts of town sometimes. Yeah, you have to go to rural, rural areas. Yeah, you don't. That you may not want to go into. This is the forgotten part of of bourbon hunting, and I'm about to let loose one of my secrets, and that is going into bars, uh, old bars that look like shit. You might get your ass kicked, but if you start that conversation by putting a twenty. Or, you know, on the table, like, hey, I'm just curious, you got any cases back there? They're not going to, I mean, they, those places will have nooks and crannies of uh, where they've had cases back there. It's funny you say that. I've I've had good luck at country clubs, you know, like old country clubs where they've had
2: bourbon and you're like, I went to Owensboro Country Club and they had a vintage 20 year on the bar and they're like. Yeah, we got a couple in the back, too. Nobody's ever drank in 30 years, you know, and you're like,
0: what? Wow. <laughs> and, you know, they that's happened
2: like- at multiple country clubs where, you know, they people think it's rock good or not any good. And, you know, they just it just stays back in the liquor storage.
0: Well, that's I mean, and that that is the type of an audience that the that the distributors and the bar owners want to get high end stuff, but they're not educated sure. about the uh, about what's what's in the bottle. And what a great place to haunt country clubs. Now, you have to you have to be a member to get into these places. I mean, I'm not a member of a country club. So
2: I was a guest. So I, I was, don't. I just popped in like, so that's, I, that's just a walk a, in like you belong. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new strategy, <laughs> like, right there. It is. And they ask you for a code just or like your member number, just say like, uh, 1458. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thompson, Thompson. Yeah. Thompson. So I guess that, that kind of brings up a, another good thing in front of you. are going to go last on this because you'll probably be both of us here. But, Ryan, what's your best ever dusty score?
2: Dusty score? Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, I was just. I mean, that one the country club was pretty good. I remember you telling me. Yeah, like you the vintage. A, you ride brought, you was, took
1: a. You, you were like, just fill up this flask.
2: <laughs> well, the, the ironic thing is, they wouldn't sell it to me, so they were like, but while so, they are like, I won't buy. They won't sell you the whole entire bottle, but they'll sell you by. The, they were like, it was an open bar, and they were like, well, we'll just serve it to you by the drink, and I was like, well. I want four shots, you know, until they pour them up and I go out to my bag and fill my flask up (laughs) (laughs) and like four more, (laughs) four more until I got my flask full. But, uh, man, gosh, dusty bottles. I mean, I, I don't know. My favorite is anything 83 to like 86. Oh, granddad. I I just have a soft spot in my heart for those. Those are like my favorite ones. They're, they're so good. You're not wrong, man. uh, They they
0: are so good.
2: I don't really been a, a bad one. I don't have any like cool unicorn green glass van Winkles or anything like that. I had, I had one of those cool heaven Hill um, bottles that kind of came in that decanter with the horse on it. I had one, you, you had a David Hobbs yeah, with yeah. us. Um, I did have one of those. That was probably my most unique or rare one, but uh, yeah, the old granddad's always anything national still, or like I'm like doing cartwheels. Cause I got them, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Fred brought up the, Kind of anecdotal. Oh, I did earlier. have a Chessman. I did have a Chessman. That was. Oh, oh I, okay. I, story. Yeah. That yeah, a big one. I, yeah. I had a Chessman, uh, the Queen, uh, but it's gone now. So where's the story? Where's the story? Yeah. How'd you get it? <sighs> I got it at an estate sale. I would go, you know, after the whiskey pig event, I'd started, you know, and Bill's was like talking about I went to estate sales and stuff. I would get in the carrier journal, look at the classifieds and go to the estate sales. And I found it. I think I paid like 30 bucks for it. You that's know. a that's a score right there. Yeah, thirty bucks is a great score.
0: Given I gave seven hundred for an entire set. Absolutely. No, no, seven thousand. I same. was going to say seven thousand. Like no, seven thousand.
2: <laughs> was like, with wait. the rug and everything. <laughs> I was like, you yeah. win on that
1: one. Yeah, I would say so. Mine is could kind of following what Fred had talked earlier about how every week there's somebody that finds a case of something in Grandma's basement, and I was always like, how come like that never happens to me? Like I've never like had to go to a family's house and then they just got, oh, you know, it's Christmas time. we we'll in go and see what, you know, great uncle Joe has underneath of his cabinet. And oh, what do you know? There's this whole plethora of like dusty Turkey. Never happened to me. So my, my grandmother in law, Lauren's grandma, uh, she was moving out of her house and, and moving into an assisted living facility. And of course, me being me, uh, going over there to like help, clean out the house. What's the first thing I do? I ever run to the liquor cabinet. <laughs> and uh, real nice. I know. And, and I was just like, Oh, I'll start looking around. And I start pulling around and it, she had bottles. Like she had gin bottles that were labeled, like had painters tape on them. that said like vodka on them. Like
2: she was like reusing. It is funny. Them. Like a ton of state sales. They always had gin. Like, a ton of gin bottles, that mm. and vermouth. It was like, why don't y'all have some? I guess they that, drink a lot of martinis.
0: a Martini. <laughs> it was
2: that. And I lifted up a few bottles, and some were like liqueur bottles, and
1: they were all cloudy and all this sort other of kind of stuff. And, and then I see this, this, uh, it's kind of like purple and gold box, and it says Rebel Yell on the top. And I'm like, I start lifting it up. I was like, oh God, oh God, it feels full. Please, please be sealed. Please be sealed. Please be sealed. I open it up, 1970s Rebel Yell, Stitzel Weller. Mm. And I was just like, It finally happened to me. This has never happened to me before. So I went to grandma and I said, grandma, like, I'll give you like four or $500 for this. Like, I'm going to offer you something fair. She was like, oh, Kenny, I'll never drink this. Just have it. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Like, yeah. uh, Before anybody else in the family said, I'm like running out to the cart, put it in there. Like, so yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was probably, you know, free, but it was, it was also really nice because coming down from a family member.
2: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: So uh, for me it's it's not uh you know full disclosure I get retained to professionally go do this and buy things and yeah and give me and, some more that old crow that shit. Yeah <laughs> unbelievable right. So uh, so I have to you know uh, some you can go take a look at the Bardstown Bourbon Company's uh, vintage library, which oh, yeah. I curated. We
2: want. We should talk about that after you finish. Eighteen,
0: your story. you know, I've got an eighteen ninety or uh, eighteen ninety two whiskey in there. I've got some nineteen oh six stuff. Yeah, I've got the entire uh, chest Canter piece in there. But uh, I, I was the story I would give would be one that I, that I did for me personally, and I still have these bottles. And um, I I was. I've been on the hunt for a particular uh, Dowling, an eight year old Dowling bottle to bond since I wrote my book, uh, Whiskey Women, because Mary Dowling played a huge part of that book. And, you know, when she moved, uh, she and her family moved their uh, Waterfill and Frazier distillery to Mexico, effectively starting to create Mexican bourbon prior to prohibition. I mean, they would alter the course of bourbon history and are the main reasons why bourbon became a unique product of the United States is that they got you know the Kentucky distillers got tired of seeing this Mexican bourbon on the market and so I've always been on the hunt for Mexican bourbon I't and that was uh, that was always very special to me and I happened to find a bottle uh, finally and I I spent probably more than I should which is often the story when you find a bottle you want right you get, you get overzealous about it. And you get very excited, and you you're like, you know what? I will pay that. Yeah. You know. You don't think. You don't think with your your pocketbook. You think with another part of your brain. And it, uh, I get the bottle, so excited about it. I crack it open. I taste it, and it was one of the top five worst tasting things I've ever oh, had in my life. No. You know, but it was made at that distillery in Mexico it was a Mexican bourbon. I had gotten it. It was, it was one of my top ones to hunt. And, and then I got it. And then sometime later I got another, I got a, a, Dowling bourbon from when they made it, they put their name back on some Kentucky products. And you know, that one too was a, was a hunt. it was a guy who was in the, his family was in the distilling industry and his, uh, his dad, grandpa was like a master distiller, but I was able to obtain a, a great deal of Dowling products and New make fresh off the steel in the nineteen forties. So that is a true unicorn. That is, cool. that is a true it, unicorn. It, that just made brought up a story in my head to think about
2: of I probably should have told this for my cool story, but my so my dad and his property is on an old distillery lake. It used to be the original Willet distillery there mm-hmm. in Bardstown. off Nazareth Road. Now Heaven Hill owns the warehouses and I think old Tubbs like building their new distillery there or something now. But but anyways, there was this brand called Stephen Foster it was in a fiddle bottle.
0: Mm, yeah. yeah. You yeah. know,
2: and we used to find them all over the property because the lake used to be to fed to feed the distillery. I used to find them, but they're all shattered or I could never find one that was full or anything. But then online, there was this guy that had one and, you know, he wanted like 500 bucks for it. And I was like, uh, oh, that's a lot of money, you know, at the time. And, you know, I overpaid for it. But he's like, well, I'll give you a miniature too, you know, and I was like, oh, that's great. And so I got it, gave it to my dad for Father's Day. Present and uh, did he shatter uh, it in the backyard? Join no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <He didn't shatter. laughs> the rest of them, <laughs> it's still sitting on his shelf that we we opened the little miniature to try it. And it was one of the it was terrible, like it just tasted like dog shit. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that's and I, and I think that's one of the but great it's
2: cool lessons. that well, we have a full bottle that we can put on the shelves, but we know never not to drink it, or maybe it was the, <laughs> the glue dusty. that got in there,
0: yeah. But one of the great lessons in Dusty's is like. Uh, It is a crapshoot. It is an absolute crapshoot. And I would say you hit probably, you hit on greatness 20% of the time. You hit on meteorocracy, you know, after that 20%, so 30%. So I would say half of it is drinkable. The other half, buckle up, it is not drinkable. (laughs) (laughs) But you you always have a story. And if you don't mind parting money with your story, kind of like playing blackjack or craps or whatever, then go for it. And I will say, I will say that rye tends to keep better than bourbon. And I think that is a story for another time.
1: Yeah, I think we'll have to because I don't think I've had a dusty rye before now that I think about it. Mm. I've had dusty I've had the Rittenhouse rye. Oh no. But is the Red House Rye really a dusty bourbon that just yes, came pre two thousands? Well, then, yeah. I but guess it was distilled pre two thousands twenty one, twenty three, twenty five year. But oh, are
0: you talking about those single barrels from back in the day? Yeah, yeah. those were amazing. I know those <laughs> yeah. are magical.
1: Yeah, but those were I, they didn't spend thirty years in a glass bottle being oxidized
2: yeah. or anything. Or if you've like had that. the green glass Van Winkle Rye from yeah. the Medley stuff, oh man
0: that's yeah the nectar all, of the gods the van winkle stuff that was when i was building that collection at bardstown that was that was goal one uh full uh chest of canter pete or set goal two: all the van winkles
2: <laughs> <laughs> they got some special van winkles yeah there.
0: And, and you know they really weren't they really were not that hard to obtain that was not much of a hunt that was going to someone i knew who had them it was and you and Bill
2: that curated that, right? That whole. Yeah.
0: Well, I bought a lot off of Bill. Yeah. Bill, Bill was, uh, you know, was very, very kind to uh, release a few, but it definitely. So the, the story, my favorite story from that collection is the Chester Canner series. This, you know, this was all obtained legally, but you have to show, if you're selling to someone, you have to show your license and the person we bought it from didn't want to show her, her license. And and the transaction has to take place in the facility, and uh, you know you can't look at a decanter. I happen to have all the weights of every one of the chess pieces before uh, uh, empty and then full. So I would weigh every one of them. Uh, I was like, listen, I'm not paying you seven thousand dollars if they are empty, full. Yeah, yeah. I was sure. like, so I'm, we're weighing them, and she's over here like fidgeting, all nervous, and you know the the majority were were, were full. And, uh, and so she got her check, but it was a very weird experience. So, but, um, but you know, it was all legit, legal, everything, you know, real person. And the whiskey checks out and that's what matters. I had a Chesman last time I on the BBC. It
2: tasted just like I remembered.
0: Yeah. I, I regret, I regret ever telling anybody that that was the greatest bourbon I'd ever tasted. Yeah, you did that a long time ago. And then all of a sudden, that became yeah, one of the, that. the crown jewels
1: of, of Dusty's was, yeah. was that.
0: in you know, that was, I did it on BBC. I don't know why, but this guy asking me in that, in his British accent, and yes, sir, well, tell us, what is, what is your favorite bourbon you've ever had? No one's ever been able to get that out of me. And that guy just asked me in that way. And I'm like- <laughs> Oh, definitely. The old crow uh, chest canter piece. And what was it about that that you loved? And I just went on about the whole story and then boom, it was on he Reddit. Fred's
2: heart is God. a British accent. I know.
0: Yeah. It gets me every time.
2: So
1: one last question before we kind of throw this out, because I know that in the seventies, they had, we talked about earlier, the beam decanters and everything like that. There's always been this thing of like, if you get it, decant it real quick and then drink it because people are like, oh, it's going to leech. Lead poisoning. Lead poison, poison lead into it and stuff like that. Now, I've tried a bunch. I don't think I've tasted lead. I've I haven't gotten myself checked out. Maybe lately. that's what's wrong with us. Maybe that's what know. it is. Just a, just <laughs> micro doses of lead poisoning. Yeah. Is that what it is? But well, drips. I think
0: from a liability perspective, I think it's very important for us to note that we are not doctors by <laughs> any means. Um We
1: and, we did stay at a holiday in last. Mm,
0: and yep. you should if, if you are to get in this game and it makes and you you should have it tested for Lead with the little strips that you can buy at like Lowe's or something like that. But with that said, you know, most of the ones that, that always come up, the whiskey's just not good anyway. You know, I, the decanters don't really hold them well. And you talk to like, uh, Bill Thomas, he's like, I don't buy decanters. Like decanters are the, they're, they're very. Except the chessmen. Except the (laughs) chessmen, And, and, and again, I have the weights of all the chessmen, but that's why they are so, um. You can't trust them. It's the evaporation because you cannot see inside the bottle. And that's why today I get so pissed off at like the colored bottles. Like I, I want to be able to see what's inside the bottle. And the evaporation and all that stuff is real. The The cork never holds in good. It's not a good fitting. And, you know, if it's stored in the wrong place, boom, it's just, it's, it's not going to be good whiskey.
2: There you go.
1: Now we're coming know. from an expert and we know it. We know it well, guys. This was a fun episode talking about Dusty. This is something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And the yes. fact that we got three
2: really good Dusty's to drink while we're doing it makes it all Gosh, much better. Good. God, that old crow was yeah, good. Yeah, the old crow stands above. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: I'll tell you what, I'm still a big fan of this old, yeah, over the, here. the old
2: crow, the Heaven Hill, and then the sorry rare bird that the rare breed was, uh, it was still good, it was though. still
0: really good though.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know it's still really good.
0: Yeah, the rare breed was good, but it was a distant third for me.
1: So, well, guys, uh, this was fun. Again, great episode on talking about Dustys, Dusty hunting aspects of why we think dusties taste different. And if you want us to taste your dusties, make sure you uh, you reach out to us. We'll uh, we'll be very open. Yes, we'll validate all dusties <laughs> well, Frank got a kick out of this one, didn't he? He did. Barely keep. He chuckles over here. <laughs> But with that, I want to say uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen. Make sure you subscribe to Fred Minnick where you get all your Fred Minnick news. And uh, yeah, with that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Vodka sucks. Toodles.